welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Friday, April 19th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, which candidates have already qualified for the debates? The stop and shop strike draws primary candidates. Joe Biden is expected to announce on Wednesday. Buttigieg is planning to become a father. And Sanders gets endorsements from black lawmakers in South Carolina. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First today, a roundup of which candidates have already qualified for the Democratic primary debates. Reminder, the first debates are scheduled to be spread across two nights on June 26th and 27th. Then a second round runs on July 30th and 31st. So the DNC offers two ways to qualify for those debates. In the first method, a candidate has to earn 1% or greater support in three polls from a list of DNC-approved polls during a certain time period, basically from January 1st until a few weeks before the debates. In the second method, a candidate needs to raise $65,000 in total campaign contributions, including at least 200 donors per state in a minimum of 20 different states. Now, given that the primary field is so large, it is time to ask, who has already reached these thresholds? Jeffrey Skelly at 538 ran an analysis using both methods and all available data and found that 14 candidates have already qualified, not counting Joe Biden. More on that Biden situation later in the show. Add to that the trio of Mike Gravel, Wayne Messam, and Marianne Williamson, who are likely to reach the fundraising threshold, and now we're looking at 17 candidates, still not including Biden. 538 also pointed out that there are a bunch of people running who don't qualify yet, but have a super solid shot of doing so. And some of them aren't even running. For instance, Montana Governor Steve Bullock and New York Mayor Bill de Blasio have both received 1% in at least one poll, even though they have not announced their candidacy. They would need to expand that to three polls, sure, but if you can get one without even running, you can probably get three. And if those two run, we are now up to 19 candidates. And then if you look at Tim Ryan and Eric Swalwell, both of whom just announced their candidacies within the past couple of weeks, and are thus too early to show up in most data, you've got 21 plus Biden. But the DNC wants to limit the debates to 20 candidates at most. And that's where it gets interesting. So reading from 538 here, quote, the number of candidates meeting the criteria to participate in the first debates could grow. This means we could end up in a situation in which more than 20 candidates qualify to participate in the first debate. The Democratic National Committee indicated in its release that it will cap the debate at 20 candidates and that if more than 20 qualify, the candidates who meet both thresholds will be given preference. Based on our tally, which relies on self-reported figures, six currently do. But we don't have a complete picture of who has met the donor criteria. The DNC said in its release the candidates will be required to provide evidence of how many donors they've had. So, theoretically, we could end up with more than 20 candidates who hit both marks. What happens then? The party indicated in the release that it would then give debate spots to the candidates with the highest polling averages. End quote. Now, 538 then goes on to do a bunch of math about polling averages, which frankly, I guess go read the link in the show notes if you're into the math part. But that's not all. The DNC might need even more tiebreakers than the polling average thing. And in that case, it says it might rely on the number of unique donors a candidate has in order to break a tie. 
And that makes sense. It's an indicator of grassroots support. But it is also something that can be influenced by candidates who have a lot of money or who are intentionally asking for minimal donations, like Mike Gravel, who encourages a $1 donation to his campaign. So let's take the case of John Delaney, who is himself immensely wealthy. He has promised to donate $2 to charity every time a new person donates to his campaign. He says he'll keep this going until he reaches 100,000 new donors, well in excess of the minimum. This kind of dollars-for-donors play is really smart, but it also reveals the inherent problems of trying to maintain fairness within such a large field where the candidates themselves have very different financial pictures, not just from donors in their campaign, but from their own bank accounts. For the record, there are six candidates who already qualify for the debates via both possible methods, and they are essentially guaranteed to appear in the debates at this point. They are Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Andrew Yang. Beyond that, check out the 538 analysis for the full list of potential debaters. But wait, that is still not all. In a separate story for Real Clear Politics, Philip Wegman points out that the DNC has signaled it will probably raise the bar after those first two debates in June and July. So by the third debate, you might have to do even more to get in. Reading from that article here, quote, the initial requirements for qualification were never set in stone to begin with, however, and applied specifically to the first two primary debates. During a March 22nd interview with C-SPAN, DNC Chairman Tom Perez left the door open to higher standards for subsequent debates. In all the prior primaries, we saw the thresholds evolve as the campaigns evolved, and this will be no different, he noted. I think it's important for candidates to show that they've made progress. We haven't made firm decisions on what those thresholds will be, but it's absolutely undeniable that as we move forward, we will adjust the thresholds to reflect the fact that we're closer to the caucus and to voting. We will do it thoughtfully, he added, without offering any specifics. End quote. Tens of thousands of workers at Stop and Shop grocery stores are on strike. The strike spans Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, three states that are, to say the least, very interesting to Democrats running in this primary. The dispute is a good old-fashioned corporation versus union affair, with the company trying to reduce benefits, including health care, and cut wages, all while making a profit of, oh, $2 billion in 2018. Negotiations with its various employee unions have failed. In this case, the unions involved have successfully maintained a strike for nine days now, with 31,000 workers walking off the job and about 240 stores affected. At this point, we even have rabbis weighing in to say that Stop and Shop food is currently not kosher because it is the product of oppressed labor. Now, where this strike becomes pertinent to this program is that primary candidates have started showing up at rallies in support of the striking workers. In Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren joined workers on the picket line last week. Then yesterday, Joe Biden spoke at a rally with workers. Bernie Sanders also issued a statement supporting the striking workers. Here's what Warren told the Boston Herald after shaking hands with workers on the picket line and speaking to a crowd through a bullhorn. Quote, My message to Stop and Shop is, just pay these folks a fair wage, their health care benefits, and give them a shot at retirement. That's all these workers are looking for, and I think we should all stand in solidarity with the workers. End quote. And then yesterday, almost definitely a candidate, but still not quite yet a candidate, Joe Biden, spoke at a rally in support of striking workers held in Boston. 
He stood at a podium in a stop-and-shop parking lot surrounded by union workers and speaking to a crowd of roughly a thousand people. Supporters held signs reading, Run, Joe, Run, and that statement also came up as a chant from the crowd. After calling corporate actions against workers, quote, morally wrong, end quote, and talking about how unions built the middle class, Biden went on to say, quote, Think about how we don't treat hardworking American middle class people with any dignity. We've got to stand together. And if we do, we will take back this country. I mean it. End quote. And although he has not shown up yet in person, Bernie Sanders tweeted his support as well, saying, Stop and Shop, a multi-billion dollar company, wants to drastically cut health care for 31,000 workers. I stand with the United Food and Commercial Workers in their fight to protect health care and workers' rights. End quote. Hey everyone, breaking news. After this whole episode was written, recorded, and mixed, I saw that Pete Buttigieg showed up today at noon on the Stop and Shop picket line in Malden, Massachusetts. So I'm adding this little extra bit here. Buttigieg said, quote, I'm running for president largely because I believe that our freedom depends on understanding how to make sure the changes in our society work for working people. What's happening at Stop and Shop is an example of the exact opposite, end quote. And here's a little bit from later in his speech, quote, This largest private sector strike in three years is sending a message that is going to ripple out far beyond New England. And the message is the companies have to do right by their workers. End quote. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. For months now, the elephant in the room, or perhaps the donkey if you're into bad mixed metaphors, has been Joe Biden. He's polling at the top of the primary pack, but he's not even officially running. When asked, he consistently says things like, well, we'll see or slightly off-kilter stuff like that he wants to be the last guy to announce so everybody else gets a moment in the sun first. But early this morning, The Atlantic published an article with a very simple headline, Joe Biden is running for president. The article says the announcement will come in video form on Wednesday next week. Reading from The Atlantic here, quote, He wants this. He really wants this. He's wanted this since he was first elected to the Senate in 1972, and he's decided that he isn't too old, isn't too out of sync with the current energy of the Democratic Party, and certainly wasn't going to be chased out by the women who accused him of making them feel uncomfortable or demeaned because of how he touched them. Biden's campaign will, at its core, argue that the response to Donald Trump requires an experienced, calm hand to help America take a deep breath and figure out a way to get back on track. 
First, however, a man who would become the oldest president in American history needs to get through a primary. End quote. And just for the record, although Biden would indeed be the oldest president ever elected, he's a year younger than Bernie Sanders. That effectively means the two Democratic frontrunners, at least as of Wednesday next week, will both be in their very late 70s by the time they would actually be sworn in, assuming either of them wins. Now, age aside, The Atlantic goes into detail about how Biden apparently really did not decide to run until very recently. And because of that, his staff still hasn't had time to figure out exactly where the early rallies will be. Potential locations include the Philadelphia Museum of Art, atop the famous steps that Sylvester Stallone ran on to train in the movie Rocky, or Charlottesville, Virginia. Now, that choice is immensely significant to what the campaign's tone will be, and it has not yet been made. Part of the problem is that Biden doesn't have any campaign funding to pay for campaign staff since he doesn't have a campaign yet. Now, I know that is a tautology, but it's a genuine problem when you're competing against a field of people who are, you know, openly competing and have thus been able to raise money for campaign staff and campaign events. So for now, Biden is relying on his existing staff, and according to The Atlantic, that group has been interviewing for new hires. Quiet phone calls have been made to donors telling them to be ready. Biden would need to raise a lot of money very quickly in order to fund his campaign, notably a bunch of rallies, and also make a splash in the Q2 fundraising that already began back on April 1st. And here's one more instructive bit from The Atlantic about what's going to face Biden going into this. Quote, Biden's doubters are convinced that he seems better as a theoretical alternative than as someone people would actually support, especially when they start looking at his record closely. Already the scrutiny has started, with attention to his opposition to school busing in the 1970s, as well as his chairmanship of the Judiciary Committee during Anita Hill's testimony in the Clarence Thomas hearings in 1991, which many women have never forgiven him for, and which he has stumbled over in trying to explain since. I wish I could have done something, is how he put it in late March, infuriating people who pointed out that he was in charge of the process. End quote. A few hours after the Atlantic's report, the Associated Press confirmed it, citing, quote, three people with knowledge of Biden's plans, end quote. They did not confirm the Wednesday date explicitly, but did say Biden could announce as early as Wednesday. So it sounds to me like this is actually happening. Here's a quick story about one candidate's growing family. On Monday this week at a rally in Brooklyn, Pete Buttigieg responded to a question about paid family leave by saying, quote, We're hoping to have a little one soon, so I have a personal stake in this one, too. We should have paid parental leave and find a way to have paid leave for anyone who needs caring, end quote. In an interview with MSNBC later that day, he admitted that, quote, This running for president has slowed down the path, end quote. He went on to talk about his husband, Chastin Buttigieg, who is a high school teacher in South Bend. Quote, My husband, he is made for a lot of things. He is a great educator. He has become a great public figure coming out of the gate. He is going to be an amazing father. I can't wait to see. I hope I will be good at it too. I can't wait to see him have that chance. End quote. On Thursday, Bernie Sanders announced that he had received new endorsements from state representatives in the South. Reading from the Associated Press here, quote, Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders on Thursday announced endorsements from seven black lawmakers in the critical early voting state of South Carolina. 
a show of force in the first place where African-American voters feature prominently in next year's primary elections. Sanders' 2020 campaign made the announcement just ahead of a Spartanburg town hall meeting with members of the state's legislative black caucus. The backing represents the biggest numbers of black lawmakers to back a 2020 hopeful to date in this state, which holds the first primary in the South. The support is part of Sanders' attempt to turn things around in South Carolina, where his 47-point loss to Hillary Clinton in 2016 blunted the momentum generated in opening primary contests and exposed his weakness with black voters. Sensing the coming defeat, Sanders left South Carolina in the days leading up to the state's 2016 vote, campaigning instead in Midwestern states where he hoped to perform better, end quote. Now, in this cycle, Sanders has spent more time in South Carolina. Last month, he made his first campaign stop in the state, a rally at a church in North Charleston that drew about 1,500 people. And then, of course, was the endorsement rally yesterday. Reading again from the AP, quote, On Thursday, the pews of Mount Moriah Baptist Church were filled with a diverse crowd of several hundred, as Sanders took to a lectern and addressed his ideas for criminal justice reform, issues that he said disproportionately affect the African-American community. We understand that we are just denting the surface, Sanders said, going on to discuss racial discrepancies and arrests for traffic violations and marijuana possession. I think a new day is coming, he said. End quote. That's it for another episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, it has been a big week, and honestly, maybe they're all going to be big weeks from here on out. Next week, the whispers are that Seth Moulton from Massachusetts will announce. We will cover that if it happens, no matter how big the Biden fireworks are. Meanwhile, have a healthy and productive weekend, or just watch Game of Thrones like me. I'll talk to you all on Monday. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.